the journalist in me came out like for reals journalists yeah. just had to tell I've always felt like I've have all these stories and experiences and choices so that I can share them yeah and make sense of my life so maybe people can make sense of theirs you know Cracking Copy is a marketing and copywriting podcast where we lift the lid on writing for business and read between the lines of effective copy. This is a podcast for creative entrepreneurs and savvy business owners like you who understand the value that great copy can bring to their bottom line. We dive into a different aspect of writing for business in each episode, debunk the myths about how we should write and explore the ways that writing can be fun, conversational and creative while also being high impact for serious results. So listen, laugh and learn with us, Ella Hoyos and Minnie McBride, as we share our words and wisdom in each snack-sized episode. Expect some light bulb moments, interesting guests and practical takeaways as we crack the copy code together. I today am joined by Silva Florence, an American who lives now in Italy and works in Italy. And we're going to talk about her copywriting career, but her specialism in translation and interpretation and how that feeds into things. And Silva, I think it's fair to say you're more than just a copywriter. I know you as a podcaster. Um, Silva has yeah. a brilliant podcast called Live from Suckville, which she can introduce us. So welcome, Silva. Welcome to Cracking Copy. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, yeah, let's just touch on, let's just open, we're on a podcast, let's just talk about your podcast for a moment. Um, can you just explain to us what it's called and what it's about? Yeah, sure. Thanks for, thanks for giving me this opportunity. So it's called Live from Suckville, and it's not negative, as you might think. It's more um, looking at the positive side of negative things, let's say. Right. Um, so interviewing a lot of people who've been through difficult situations or difficult events and they have wisdom that they want to share. So getting into their story, asking them questions and figuring out how they got through it all. So, how did you come about with the, the concept live from Suckville? Uh, because I was in Suckville. <laughs> uh, Wait, is this a real place? Is this a fictional <laughs> As a stuff, the idea about the other idea behind Suckville is that it's a place that everyone goes to mm-hmm. at some point in their lives, multiple times, probably kind of when things just suck. Right. And so my particular visit was when I broke my hip riding my bicycle and I was down for the count for like four and a half months and I wanted to transform it into something good and I couldn't do like all of my normal outdoor stuff. So I decided to start a podcast. Wow, that's great. Um, and I'm a keen cyclist. I love cycling too. Unfortunately, Uh-oh. yeah, cool. I never have had any bad accidents. Touch wood, but it, there's been a few close shaves. Yeah. So good on you though for making positive out of you know the difficult situation. There's and, always a choice, right? Yeah, there's always another side to things, and I like to I like to look at for that side too, the bright side. Cracking copy. We're all about writing talking about writing um all the different aspects of it writing for business writing for yourself writing for pleasure and i wanted to talk to you today because you have a a, a sort of specialist angle you know mm-hmm. that you bring into your writing which is is the whole translation <laughs> thing tell me a little bit about your job so i've been in italy for five years 
I have a background in journalism. I studied journalism. So I've always been a writer for all of the categories that you just listed. <laughs> everything from work to fun to play, you know, everything. So I've always been a freelance writer and editor. And then when I got here and learned Italian, especially, it opened up a whole world of, of opportunities aside from teaching English, which is kind of what everybody, including me, falls into first. Yeah. But my passion is writing. So I have always kept that thread strong throughout everything else that I've done here. Um, so it kind of naturally fell into doing translations and things like that, because when people hear, hear that you are native speaker, English native speaker, you just end up getting all of these jobs thrown at you and you have to just kind of figure them out. Wow. I mean, that's good that there's opportunities there. It sounds like the demand for your work is quite high. Yeah, it comes and goes because as anybody that freelances knows, it's very inconsistent. Mm -hmm. So like maybe one month I'll do three translations and then for six months I won't do anything. Right. I'll just have like a little trickle here and there, an yeah. interpretation or something. So. And what about the language side of things? I mean, writing has always been a personal passion of yours, it sounds like. But the languages, did they come later? Well, you mean learning Italian? Yeah. Uh, I went to language school for a year, which really helped me to, because I was always ahead speaking because I pick up languages pretty easily, which is lucky. So I could get around and I could say things in like the future tense, just because I learned that that was like a helpful phrase to know we will arrive, you know, but mm -hmm. I don't know why. So after doing language school for a year and living in a small town where nobody spoke English, I was just thrown into it, like, like up to my eyeballs in having to survive like the bureaucracy and everything. So a happy side effect of all that stress, I guess, was that I learned Italian pretty quickly. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And that helps obviously being able to translate and interpret. Yeah. Yeah. And did you know that you wanted to do the translation thing or was it more of an organic thing that has just evolved as you've, as you've been in the country? It was more organic. It was another thing that it was like, oh, you're an English speaker. Like, I have this thing that needs translating. You could do it. Okay, sure. Why not? You know? Yeah. Has that been easy? Learning a language in itself, you know, knowing how to speak a language is one thing, but knowing how to write a language is quite something else. I, so I should be clear that writing in Italian is my, is still my weak point and I'm working on it because uh, writing in Italian is completely different than writing in English because they have a very formal version in which they write narratives. Um, so I don't translate from English to Italian, only Italian to English. Yeah. Because unless you know it really, really well back in like inside and out and you can write in it like almost like you're writing in English, mm -hmm. it's not worth trying really. But that really is where the demand for the work is anyway, isn't it? It's these Italian businesses, mm -hmm. Italian companies who need things translated into English. Exactly. Okay. Or they need something that, oh, this happens a lot too, where they've written something in Italian, they've translated themselves into English. Right. But it's still a really Italianized English and it needs to be like gone through with a fine tooth comb because it makes no sense in a lot of places or doesn't okay. sound natural. Yeah. And what inspired your move to Italy then? Where are you from um, originally? And, and why did you choose to, to live in a European country? 
do you want do you want the short or the long answer where I'm from? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> the most interesting answer, please. Because <laughs> uh, I'm a bit nomadic. So I grew up on the West Coast. I was born in California, grew up in Oregon. First year of university I did in Oregon, and then I decided to go to Pennsylvania for a year. Then I moved to Colorado to fight wildfires. Mm-hmm. Stayed there for about 10 years. My parents now live in Utah. And my brother's in Texas. And then I moved. I decided to come here after um, being a bike tour leader in Europe for quite a while seasonally. Yeah, so you love to roam. And presumably yeah. then your work, um, you've always taken your work with you. You know, have you always had a freelance sort of career? Uh, I've had a, I haven't had a set career like the only uh, probably common thread is writing, editing, proofreading, words. Yeah, I've done everything else you could possibly imagine, aside aside from like doctor, lawyer. Yeah, right. Okay, okay. So no, <laughs> no not just nomadic in location, but nomadic in in your work yeah. life as well. Okay, mm-hmm. I just like to touch on life from Suckville. It's kind of ironic that you'd have a podcast about overcoming difficult experiences and then literally a month ago maybe six weeks ago now and we, we've read, rescheduled this podcast interview several times over yes, the past we few have. weeks since we, we met in March time and agreed to to talk because you've just lived through a catastrophic flood in your region and this has had a profound impact and could you just tell me which podcast episode if some anybody wants to hear this story which is profound and moving about what you've just experienced um Bella it's episode six I believe it's called how not to get swept away by the current Uh so basically on the second or third of May we had flooding in our town that at the time seemed pretty widespread it was in one neighborhood of our town and then we'd had drought before that and so the ground couldn't absorb any of the water that had arrived there was kind of a system parked over us and then two weeks later we had the same situation basically but there were even more rivers uh, involved and the same kind of precipitation parked over us but having had floods before and everything not dried out yet it was even worse so basically we got um the night of 16th of may we got flooded like the water came all the way into the center of town which was considered widely impossible um, including my apartment on the ground floor and this happened all it was very widespread there was pretty much from the Apennine Mountains um, so the highest part of the Romagna region all the way to the sea so in the mountains there were landslides and then there was flooding um, in, in the flats basically and our town was one of the hardest hit it's it's just amazing and first of all it's amazing that you you've managed to in the conversations that I've had with you in between this thing happening and and now how resilient you've been to it and how pragmatic you've been <laughs> about getting on and and you rescued the bits that you needed to rescue but so much yeah. so much was is gone or destroyed and you know, like you say in the in the episode, for outsiders like me, you can hear these stories about how people get flooded and you think, oh, that's terrible. But unless you've lived through it, you've got no idea of, mm. of the sort of impact and the, the 
devastation and the, the the sense of community and humanity and all the other things that, that yeah come out. there's so much goodness that comes out of of, of such a terrible situation um yeah but again you know you've chosen to move to different places and live in different places you've chosen to change careers and things with this one you've been uprooted and, and literally it's been forced upon you um yeah. where are you now where are, you, where are we recording from because I'm pretty sure it's not friends it's not your no it's not fines anymore because I couldn't live in that apartment anymore I'm in Tuscany now so I actually mm-hmm. moved to a different region in a different town not terribly far away mm-hmm. I moved in with my partner yeah and it was already something that was in the works, but let's say it got moved up a bit. Support <laughs> <laughs> yeah. forward slightly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I hope that you're settling into to this sort of new situation. Um, it's um, been hard to get back on the ground, let's say. It's been yeah. very hard to pick up routines and get back into the swing of work and looking for jobs and all of that stuff has been pretty challenging. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, one some of the possessions that that you were able to salvage and it was literally a backpack's worth did you lose your road bike no actually I was very lucky I was able to move a lot of stuff onto the stairs because the the water came to us pretty late in the night like at midnight or something Mm -hmm. so the water didn't go all the way up the stairs so I saved a lot of things including my road bike yeah, good. I'm pleased to hear that. Just perfect. Yeah. I'm very pleased because <laughs> if you're anything like me, my bike is a kind of extension of, of me and I like to, yep. you know, even though I don't ride it as much as I used to, I just like to know it's there and it's uh, available. I just went on a bike ride for this podcast, actually. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Get the so juice flowing. You're speaking my language, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, thank you, Ella. I appreciate the the concern. You and everyone else has just been so incredibly kind and understanding during this whole period I rescheduled everything I forgot to reschedule a couple of things (laughs) (laughs) well I'm sure people will forgive you for that Um, yeah but you know the 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 silver lining if there could be one but (laughs) the silver lining there's some amazing stories that have come out of that experience and I I urge anyone listening to actually just go and check out that episode um on live from something and have a listen because you know it just reminds the other people on the other side who perhaps live in the countries like mine in England where nothing much happens day to day nothing in particular but um that's not exactly true but you know <laughs> it just reminds you of how lucky you are and how how it's important to be sort of grateful for the little things because you know life is unpredictable very and change very unpredictable I can attest to this yeah. for sure but yeah some powerful stories have, have come out of that and um and very well told so the journalist in me came out like for reals journalists yeah. just had to tell I've always felt like I have all these stories and experiences and choices so that I can share them yeah and make sense of my life so maybe people can make sense of theirs you know well that's great I mean that that's what makes for compelling writing mm-hmm. um and you know we're always told that that storytelling is a really fundamental a part of engaging and connecting and human connection um agreed let's talk a little bit about um about rebuilding your business then and about how how you're going about that now how you're going to find clients you're in a different place um one of the things that you saved was your your, your laptop yes um, your podcast mic perhaps yes 
Yeah. <laughs> I threw that in my backpack too. Like what? Yeah. I don't know. And uh and maybe some pens and notepads, I don't know. Or maybe they just documents. Some documents, yeah. 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 So um yeah, how how will work pan out for you now? Well, like we were talking about a little bit before the show, um, I'm in between, let's say, um, full-time jobs, because as I mentioned, the translation and correction of things and freelance stuff is always coming and going. Um, so to pay the bills, I usually need to have also something else, which ended in January. It was a tourism thing. Um, and I've decided I don't really want to go back into the tourism industry because it left me no time for anything else. Right. Um, I'm also trying to publish a book. And so the book, the podcast and my freelancing, which I really love, all went to the wayside. So now that I have mostly done this move and I'm starting to get back into normal normalcy, like whatever that is, mm-hmm. um, I'll start yeah, looking for more freelance gigs, pitching, sending out, you know, some feelers to my old contacts. Does anybody need anything? Do, do they know that anybody that needs anything, etc.? It's kind of yeah. how, it, how it works. Yeah. How do you, um, you know, where are your, where do you find most of your, your clients? Are they online contacts? Are they people, you know, could they be all over the world or are they tend to be you know, particularly on the translation, presumably they're Italian contacts that you've made since you've moved to the country. Yes, they're they're mostly Italian. And it, here a lot of things work by passaparola, which is word of mouth. So it was like somebody, you know, contacted a friend of mine. She was busy. She couldn't take their translation. She passed it on to me. They liked me. They came back. They told a friend, etc. Sometimes random people just contact me. Sometimes I send out feelers again to my old clients. Yeah. Sometimes I ask my friends. Yeah. If they have anything to give me. But very um, often the good old fashioned networking, mm-hmm. meeting people in person, having conversations in real life. Yeah. That's the way you're generating your leads. And it's- sometimes through like language schools. Okay. Yeah. They, they will have a lot of students, obviously, who also then might need some like translation they might work with they do business english classes so they'll be working with businesses mm-hmm. things like that but do the um the sort of channels that i would use for um lead generation if you like and, and mm-hmm. drumming up new business um perhaps linkedin as a social network um even instagram to a point you know i do a lot on social yeah. obviously the podcast is a platform to reach out and to let people know what you do but your podcast isn't specifically about your freelance career it's about yeah. your life Sorry, and exactly. and a lot of my networking where I live in a rural town in, in the UK rural village um, so networking for me happens largely online and community groups memberships mm-hmm. that I'm part of um, do you have any relationships online are you still connected to your contacts in the states and do you still get work from home? for translation no because that was something that just kind of organically started here as yeah. we talked about for freelancing yeah sometimes I still write articles and things for other for magazines that I wrote for before blogs uh, when I pitch I pitch mostly well all English-speaking magazines and and blogs and things yeah so yeah definitely still in contact with them yeah and um which is the sort of work that you favor most the writing work that you favor 
what, like the sector. Yeah, what's the stuff that really lights you up? Usually travel or adventure or talking about my my travels and adventures. Um, I wrote an article not so long ago for a magazine about um, traveling solo as a woman, how you can mm-hmm. do it safely and enjoyably. Yeah. Um, I like empowering other people to get out and do stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah fabulous. Do you find there's a lot of competition for that kind of work? Because I just say that I remember um, when I started out and I, I moved to London and I was in, I worked in public relations then, but I had this friend, Rihanna, who was um, a travel writer and she was um, for one of the big newspapers in the UK, but it was mm-hmm. highly competitive because everyone wanted to do the travel writing bit. It's, yeah. It's like the fun stuff. Yeah. You go out and you get to, you know, so do you, do you find um, there is a lot of competition for that sort of work? I pitch mostly to smaller blogs and magazines and stuff that usually want you. <laughs> and I don't yeah. have to fight so much. Yeah. Um, but I've also gotten really good at pitching. Because mm-hmm. I think if you can be really clever with your pitch and you can speak, you can make it really detailed and focused on that particular magazine, etc. Yeah you'll get listened to. Yeah. So if you do your research ahead of time, you read and you just, you pitch something original, you know, Mm -hmm. and then you give them good content that they don't have to correct a whole lot and you show that you're reliable and you're, you can write and you can think like a unique human being. Yeah. Absolutely. Comes back to you again. Yeah. In fact, let's, let's explore that a little bit because um, again, I guess when you're uprooted from your, home base and you're moving to a new part and you've got to kind of start again on the networking and the link building and all the rest of it then then pitching is a really important part of it and you know you've needed to make it a fine art so that you can find work wherever you are so in your opinion what makes a good uh, pitch you've touched on the fact of being really specific and knowing the knowing the audience that you're writing for but how would you go about um, identifying an opportunity and then what would you do next? I always read, I always read, you know, the about section to see if they actually are even accepting submissions. And if they aren't, don't even try. Mm-hmm. And if they are, read very carefully their guidelines, what they want, follow them to the T. Read and like, you know, go through their website, look at the tone, look at, um, you know, the kind of verbs they use, the language. The topics, obviously, you don't want to pitch them something that's already been done. Mm-hmm. You want to pitch them that something unique and that goes along well with other things that they already have that their readership will probably like. So you have to just kind of start thinking like one of their readers. Yeah. How keep long... your pitch short and sweet. Okay. How long would you typically spend on doing that research piece in the beginning, understanding the publication you're writing for? Um, obviously finding their sort of guidelines for submissions. Um, Is that something that would take place over a couple of hours or would it take place over a while as you get to know the back issues and the stories? I usually, I usually first I make a list of publications that I would like to pitch to like maybe 10. Yeah. And that usually takes a couple of hours. And then I would say, I don't know, each, each one until I get a feel for them. So that can kind of vary depending on how complicated their website is and things like that. But I would say it's been like half an hour to an hour, at least looking through, through their stuff. And then I usually, I'm a big fan of like anything that I'm going to send, like whether it's a translation, whether it's a, um, 
a, cock, a proofreading, something I wrote or a pitch. I write it. I forget about it. And I come back like the next day or a couple of days later. I tweak it, make sure it still makes sense with my fresh caffeinated eyes. And then, then I send it out. Yeah. Yeah. And the sort of publications that you like to write for, what are they? What are they like? Are they the glossy magazines? Are they sort of newspaper type? Are they online blogs? Uh, some of our magazines yeah. with like an online blog. Some of them are just blogs like the Matador Network. I've written a couple of blogs for them. Um, it's all types of stuff. Not usually newspapers so much. Mm. Mm. More features and things that are not so timely. Yeah. Because they also tend to have kind of a more flexible deadline too. Yeah. And that appeals for my crazy ever-changing life. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of the actual structure of your of your pitch, would that be a um, an email? Would it be a one pager? Would you accompany that with a you know follow up phone call? How would you how do you typically pitch for best results? Uh, it's usually an email, but it's it depends if they want it submitted like their the pitch through their form. I mm -hmm. do it that way. Most places don't really like you to call. You know, mm. they would prefer that you not. So I usually, if I haven't heard back from them after a week or two, I usually send a follow-up email Yeah, just to make sure that they got it, see if they're still interested, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then usually if I've done that, if I've done two follow-up emails and I still haven't heard anything, I forget about it. Yeah. Have you had any cases where, you know, three months later <laughs> or whatever, someone pops up back in the inbox, hi, we heard from you and... Definitely, definitely, yeah. because maybe they have, you know, they're so busy editors and stuff. They usually yeah. take forever to get back to you. And maybe, you know, something that you pitch then suddenly fits in with one of their magazines that they're planning. And they think, oh, there's that person. Yeah. And so absolutely. At, at that moment in time, it didn't it didn't resonate, but they kept the pitch and they were able to revisit it at the time arose. So exactly. Yeah. Brilliant. So it's. Try not to take it too personally when you don't hear anything back because it's usually it just didn't fit. It wasn't the one for you. Just keep keep going. Mm -hmm. So um, aside from those sorts of articles, what other is what other sort of work comes your way? Other than like the translations and the proofreading and writing and things like that. Yeah, but you know, other writing work, I suppose, is that that's the bread and butter of of your written and the book that I'm trying to publish, which is a it's like the simmering long term project underneath right. everything else. Yeah, that's the big one, isn't it? Everybody has a book inside them, apparently. I've yet to find the book inside me, but um, I'd love I'd love to be able to publish a book at some point. Has this been a big project? Has it been a long? Um, you know, a is it a lifelong dream? Is it something that just came to you and thought, I'm going to write a book? <laughs> uh, it's always been a dream. I, it's The story is about a solo bike tour that I did before I moved to Italy from uh, California to Florida on my bicycle. So that's the story of that. And I was a big, huge mess, too, because I just got divorced. And so it was like inner and outer journey crossing the states. So, yeah. It's, it's a long project. So there's like a move to Italy and learning a language and becoming a translator and English student and that all in the middle of it. Yeah. And so. now a flood. So 
Wow, certainly lots of material, but this is it <laughs> again. Another adventure story, another part of the yeah. roller coaster that your life that, that everywhere we all live a up and down life. But you know, exactly, you're capturing this this moment in time in a book. Have you? Are you going to self publish? Have you got a publisher lined up? How's it going to work? Do you think? I'm submitting to like American and British markets. Yeah, and so. I need to find an agent first. So I'm because a lot of them don't uh, accept unsolicited work from quote unknown authors. Right. And so I'm looking for an agent first. Yeah. Is so. this stuff that you've had to learn as you go or is it, do you, did you already have some understanding of the, of the whole book publishing process and, and what you need to do? I had to learn pretty much all of it as I was going along. And I mean, I asked also like contacts and stuff that I have and other people just came out of the woodwork. Mm-hmm. um but yeah it's been a huge huge learning curve yeah. journey yeah and what about the, the sort of discipline of writing you say it's on hold at the moment but how far how far have you got with it in terms of actually getting it down on paper getting those stories down and the structure the book mm. the book is done it's, it's done right in like the thousandth draft and I'm going through it just like one more time because I had somebody beta read it for me the other day what does and that I'm not to be, to um, to read it? Reading it as like a sample uh, person who would read it, like a, the average reader, basically. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so giving me comments and things. So I'm going through it one more time. Yeah. You're not and tired then, of it yet. <laughs> I'm so tired of it. I'm so <laughs> tired of it. <laughs> Basta. No more book. But and then I've got to update everything, my book proposal, my query and all that with like my new address and my latest articles and la la la. And then I can start sending it out again. Okay. So talking about the book, you've always had it in you. You've always wanted to write story. The story's written. It's being edited. You're almost there. You've had it beta read, beta tested, if you like, as by a yeah. typical reader. And now you're on what you say is the thousandth edit. <laughs> so over this book but has it, you know presumably if this is the story post-divorce it's epic cycle ride across some beautiful parts of america i've been to california i've been to oregon i love the west coast i can imagine it's quite an inspiring read and an empowering read i know it's I hope so. yeah That's the point. you know you've got to find an agent uh to help you find a publisher but has the journey through this whole process and you know eventually one day it is going to be published it's going to be out there for people to read and you must I must get on the waiting list I need to know I think I'm, <laughs> I story that I'd like to read um, there's an editor and an agent out there that are waiting for this book I have it I believe it absolutely yeah and uh, if any agents and uh, editors are listening to cracking copy and want to get in touch with silver then uh, the details will be in the show notes um my my thousandth uh, read through is almost done, so ready yeah, for you. <laughs> Just imagine how good it's going to be now. It's been fine tuned and polished, but has this been a, a cathartic? You know, a lot of people write a book to get something out for them, especially if it's a, you know an experience that's happened. Has it? Has there been? What's it felt like to to get this story written and out there? I yes, I use writing a lot as as a cathartic tool or as a, a tool for me to understand my own life and my emotions and process and all of that so I think this book was not any different 
um, I think it was much more cathartic, like a long time ago before mm-hmm. all of these revisions, but rewriting is writing, right? Yeah. Um, but yes, I think it was definitely good. And it is always good to find a way to take painful or difficult experiences and to process them and transmit them into something that is outside of you. Cause it's not good to keep all of the, this stuff inside all these hard emotions and things. So yeah, I, when I was writing it, I think it was definitely one of my ways of, of processing what had happened. Yeah. And where next from here? I mean, the book, what, your motivation for writing the book, was it a monetary one? Was it a, a storytelling one? Was it a, like you say, a sort of processing one just to crystallize that part of your life and then move on from it? I mean, it's a little bit monetary because I always have wanted to be an author. Like that's mm-hmm. always been like my biggest dream as a, a profession. But I also feel like a lot of these other things, like the flood episode, like a lot of the stories I've written either just for my own blog or for uh, magazines, etc., are stories to be told because I feel like I don't have the typical life of a lot of people. And a lot of people have told me that, you know, when they read these stories and when they see what it is that I'm willing to try or put myself out there, it kind of gives them permission to do the same thing. And it kind of gives them permission to say, you know what, maybe I can change something or I can do something different or have an adventure. So I just feel like I was born a journalist and a writer and every aspect of my life I see as an opportunity to um, improve myself and to make a positive choice and change and transform and hopefully help others to do the same in my own small way. Yeah, that's lovely. That's lovely. And that's a real sort of empowerment message. So there's a really nice, optimistic message there. And have you had people come to you, you know, that have been affected by stuff that they've read that you've written? Do you ever get that sort of feedback? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. That's the kind of feedback that makes it all worthwhile, isn't it? It makes. Yeah. I find sometimes personally sharing personal stories is a kind of it puts you in a place of vulnerability if you're sharing mm-hmm. about yourself and your own experiences particularly when they've not been the best experiences and that's hard to do sometimes it's scary yeah but the upside of it if you know that that's been able to help somebody else like you say who's going through a similar difficult experience mm-hmm. um, that can give you that that courage and that confidence to do it again and again yes. um, absolutely I mean I feel like every every crisis is an opportunity in a way so it depends on like how we decide we want to use it yeah so I try to see other things that happen to me or the adventures and misadventures as as opportunities for something yeah so thank you so much for your time today Silva and talking to me about your your work, your life, your book. Where, where can people find you if they want to learn more or read more or listen more? You can find me. The Live from Suckville podcast is anywhere you can find your podcast, including Spotify and iTunes. There's um, a GoDaddy site. There's Instagram. There's Facebook. I have a blog, www.thesilvalining.com. 
Oh, brilliant. I like the play. (laughs) (laughs) So you can find me in any of those places. You can also send me an email live from Suckville at gmail.com. I'm always happy to, to hear from people. Yeah. About their lives, our lives, everything. Yeah, absolutely. And I was really happy, um, Silva, to be able to introduce you to um, one of my friends, somebody I know in the UK, um, Lizzie Tench, who is a Paralympic athlete. She's retired now. Sounds like an incredible human being. Yeah. Her Olympic journey and career in triathlon started on the back of a cycling accident. And so when I heard your story, I immediately thought of Lizzie and what she's been through as somebody who's in her 30s, suffered this terrible accident, which paralyzed her from the waist down. But since then, she's gone on to achieve some incredible things and things that she just, I don't think they would have happened if it wasn't for the accident. Um, so yeah. I'm so thrilled to be able to put you two together. And I know that you you will be talking to Lizzie. I'm really looking forward to that. Thank you for doing that. It's going to be a great interview. Yeah, there's some more amazing stories to come out of. Um, and I'll put all the links to, to where people can find you in our show notes as well. Thank you. To anybody who's looking for hope, inspiration, stories, who anyone who's suffering from something difficult in their lives and who needs to to hear from other people who've been through difficult situations and found a, a, that good has come out from it, then, you know, mm-hmm. definitely. Some humor. some humor. We always laugh at some point because. Of course. You know, finding a laugh or two in these weird situations we find ourselves in. Right? Absolutely. There's always got to be, there's always got to be hope and laughter, hasn't there, to get us through these, these times. And that's what you bring to the party. That's what you bring in, in the work that you do. Thank you, Silva. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's been Thank fun. <laughs> you have been listening to the Cracking Copy podcast with Ella Hoyos and Minnie McBride. Don't miss out on future episodes by making sure you hit subscribe down below to keep up with all our podcasts. And more details and resources are in our show notes. So we'll see you next time.